The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. If you're in the market for a new mattress, casper.com slash rabbi should be the next website you visit. Casper created an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It's one perfect mattress, and it's sold directly to you, eliminating the need to endure one of those commission salesman mattress stores with inflated prices. Casper is shipped for free right to your door, astonishingly delivered in a sleek, how did it fit in there box? You just let it unfold, and there you have it, one of the most supportive sleep surfaces ever designed, hassle-free. Casper is made in America, and Time magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Breathable latex and memory foams are combined for just the right sink and just the right bounce. Try Casper for 100 nights free, and if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Right now, get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash rabbi. That's casper.com promo code rabbi. Terms and conditions apply. casper.com slash rabbi. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in things that never change. Never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to another Rabbi Daniel Lappin show here. And uh, we, as always, are going to focus on revealing how the world really works. And one of the ways in which the world really works is that when people find themselves confronted by a logical argument, carefully constructed, point by compelling point, and they find themselves incapable of challenging it in debate, they get angry and frustrated. Little children do this. I'm sure you've seen it. And big children do it as well. I'm not saying any of us are immune to this. We're all susceptible to it. Uh, we get frustrated and angry when we are confronted by a compelling argument with which we disagree emotionally. Uh, we have real cognitive dissonance with it. We simply do not want to believe it. We reject every aspect of the argument being made. Nonetheless, we cannot get our hands onto any aspect of it in order to twist it out of shape. It stands, and it stands uh, immune to our efforts and immune to our challenges, and this angers us and frustrates us. I experienced a little bit of this uh, myself with the, uh, the podcast just before this one. Uh, I recorded it last week, uh, as from, from when I'm recording now. It was called 10 Trump Truths, and it explained as logically and as compellingly as I could. And by the way, I don't think my arguments were absolutely inviolable. I don't think my arguments uh, were beyond any challenge whatsoever. I don't think that. But but I certainly have thought about it a lot, and it's something I've been th thinking about seriously uh, for more than a year and a half, well over a year and a half now. And so I said, here are the 10 reasons I, I supported Donald Trump in 2016 and uh, why I still support the president. And um, it, it really got a fair bit of anger. It got a fair bit of response. Um, there were people who unsubscribed, and there were people who got really quite, um, quite annoyed and indignant about it. And I suspect a part of it was, and I've, I've seen this among many people, I, I actually have friends who were never Trumpers. Um, I have friends, I think, who are still highly opposed uh, to every aspect of the president. I have friends who are Republicans who, who think that McCain is a hero. Uh, I, to me, nothing could be further from the truth. But there it is. And uh, I, I do think that there were many people who reacted to last week's show uh, with anger and frustration because they simply were incapable of accepting the idea that uh, President Trump is, um, is, is okay. It's, it's what America needs. It's what America has got. And, uh, and anyways, I'm not going through the arguments again of, of last week. That's not the point. The only point I'm making is that, um, uh, well, 
You know, I I don't take pleasure in being provocative. I really don't. I like having growing listenerships to the show. Uh, I like large numbers of people listening. I like large numbers of people finding the materials that I create and market at my website to be useful and life-changing and life-enhancing. Of course, of all those things, but I certainly don't enjoy being provocative. I don't like poking people in a cage, or animals for that matter. Um, but every now and then, uh, you know, there are things that uh, that that come pouring out of me with complete uh, sincerity and and with genuine intensity, uh, things that I simply cannot keep quiet about. And I, I think today shows a little bit of, uh, of that. I don't want to uh, oversell it or overpromote it or anything. So, so let's just dive into it, shall we? Um, I guess what I want to talk about is, is something very basic, and uh, it's something I've discussed before. Look, uh, I don't think there is a Jewish community in the United States. I've often said before that if you gather together every person who self-identifies as Jewish in the United States of America, and I think there would be probably somewhere around about three, three and a half million people, uh, and if you gather all, them all together in a theoretical huge stadium and uh, you gave each one a voting uh, device in their hands and uh, you, you, you try to find out if there is anything at all on which all uh, these three and a half million people would agree. And I've said before, the answer is there is not, other than perhaps Adolf Hitler was a very bad man. But short of that, I truly cannot think of a single thing that all these three and a half million self-identifying American Jews would agree on. Uh, I know that some of you think that, uh, that, that they would agree on uh, the importance of the survival of Israel. That's not true. There's a, a lot of people who self-identify as Jewish. Um, who who see Israel as as the problem in the Middle East? I, I'm sorry to say, so you know that's just how it is. So please don't uh, doubt me on this one. <laughs> you can doubt me on all kinds of things, but when I tell you that there isn't a Jewish community, you see what makes a community is where people share uh, a common outlook on important things. Do uh, does everyone in my family agree on every single thing? Of course not, but there are quite a lot of things we do all agree on. In my theoretical gathering of three and a half million American self-identifying Jews, there's nothing they agree on, nothing at all. Um, in in a tennis club, does everyone agree on any, everything? No, but they agree on certain things, you follow? So for a community to be termed a community, there have to be things that they all do agree on in terms of outlook. A community is not made up of people who are all bald. A community is not made up of people who uh, who have a mouthful of dental implants. That's not a community. Uh, a community is not made up of people whose skin has a certain pigmentation. You see where I'm going here. Uh, I don't think there is such a thing as the so-called black community or African-American community in the United States of America. I don't think there is such a thing. And by the way, I know that Right now, uh, there are going to be people who are saying, hey, what right does he have to talk about the African-American? He's uh, white. He has no right. Look, in, in the world of thought, in the world of intellect, in the world of debate, in the world of human intercourse, people can talk about anything. And whether or not what they are saying has any value at all must be judged on its content, not on the color of their skin. But wait, wait. Uh, didn't we actually have an African-American leader who said something like that, that people should be judged on the content of the character, not the color of their skins? Uh, yeah, we did. His name was Martin Luther King, the Reverend Martin Luther King. And uh, whilst uh, I don't think that uh, he was a, a perfect human being in, in any way whatsoever, in fact, far from it, he had, he had uh, very, very conspicuous flaws, sadly, nonetheless, that doesn't invalidate everything he did or everything he said, obviously. And uh, just basing the, uh, the, the famous quote of Dr. Martin Luther King on its own substance, it stands. Whether it was said by somebody with a black skin or a brown skin or a yellow skin is completely irrelevant. Uh, that stands. It's true. 
even though today I think many politicians in America would reject that because they have constructed entire power structures. They've constructed fiefdoms and little empires based entirely on skin color. So uh, let it be said then that I do not believe that there is a black community or an African-American community in the United States any more than I think there's a Jewish community. Uh, because I don't think there is anything that every single black person would agree on any more than that there is absolutely nothing that every single uh, Jewish person would agree upon. But uh, uh, with that being the case, I think that it is um, important for me to state that uh, there are many, many problems in the American underclass. Now, when I say that, that is not code word for people with black skins. Please understand me. When I speak of the American underclass, I'm speaking of a group of people who, yes, unfortunately do happen to all have, or mostly, very largely, the, the same skin color. But that is irrelevant. What? Irrelevant? How can you say such a thing? Very simple, I can say such a thing because I can simply examine the underclass in the United Kingdom and find that it has exactly the same pathologies as the underclass in the United States of America. Uh, basically, uneducable, unemployable, high illegitimate birth rate. Oh, you're not supposed to say that. But in England, yes, and they're overwhelmingly white. And so, my friends, uh, underclass... Uh, being in the underclass is a matter of having terrible values. Running your life by a horrible set of values, or no values at all, and it has absolutely nothing to do with skin color. So we can discuss this with complete <clears throat> impunity from the, the rabble-rousers on the left, and we can look at this uh, simply on the basis of what it stands for on its own. And so when... Uh, I say that I simply cannot see any way whatsoever in which removing Confederate statues helps the American underclass, helps people with black skins, helps anybody at all. I'm telling you something I feel deeply and passionately. There are so many real problems. If all the energy that is going into removing Confederate statues would go into setting up charter schools for every single child in America whose parents want him, to, him or her to attend a charter school. Wouldn't that do a whole lot more? But obviously, that's nothing we're going to see happening anytime really soon. Let me explain what's really going on here, and that's precisely what I'll do in just a moment. But uh, first of all, it's time for a commercial. It's time for me to remind you that I do my best to produce resources that can help you in your life. There are resources that uh, can help you financially, can help you in terms of family and friendship, socially and romantically, things that can help you in terms of uh, faith, things that uh, can help you in, in, in almost every real way in your life. That's what we focus on. And these resources we produce in order to provide value to you. But that only works if you know about them. So I want you to know about them. I don't have any objection if you look at them and you say, hey, you know what, not for me. Hey, that's, that's the way the market works, right? It, nobody can provide the answer for everyone. Only God does that. Uh, we humans, we produce uh, apps that only work for some people. We produce uh, tractors that only some people want to buy for their farms, etc., etc. I produce resources that can help certain people who have a need for that kind of thing. So go to the website, www.rabbidaniellappin.com, and take a look, particularly this week in the financial arena, something called the Income Abundance Set. Uh, which has a special price for listeners of this show right now. The website, rabbidaniellappin.com, and I'll be back with you in just a moment.
ancient solutions to modern problems. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Welcome back to Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, we're back on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where your rabbi, that's me, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, my job, to which I am solemnly dedicated, is to reveal how the world really works. And one of the ways in which the world really works is that... um, there are theoretical things that, or ideas or concepts that can be labeled 100% evil or 100% good. But in the real world, in the application of the real world, it really isn't like that. You know, so um, uh, executing um, somebody is, is horrible. But if he was a vicious and brutal murderer without a shred of conscience, uh, then... That's a good thing for society for that to happen. So life is complicated, and things contain both good and evil. If you happen to be somebody who gains his uh, perspective or her perspective from the Bible, like me, then you would say that this is the uh, one of the serious consequences of humanity in the form of Adam and Eve eating into the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. That's exactly what that tree was, not the tree of knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Essentially, biting into that fruit uh, granted uh, or imposed upon Adam and Eve uh, an inability to separate and separate identify good and evil. Forevermore, the two are confused And were it not for that, by the way, nobody would need a legal system, nobody would need a moral system. We'd all instantly know whether an action is good or whether an action is evil. Uh, In the real world, since that event, all actions are fraught with a little bit of both. And so, um, in theory, in theory, we can say, yes, uh, killing somebody is horrible and evil and 100% bad. Uh, But in real life, maybe the killing is a mother uh, defending her children from somebody who uh, has has invaded their home and is threatening the lives of their children. Uh, And you can think of dozens and dozens of instances where there is not a simple determination of whether things are uh, simply good or evil. Slavery, absolutely bad, right? Uh, anti-Semitism, not to necessarily compare, but absolutely bad. But let me tell you something. Um, if it wasn't for European anti-Semitism, if it wasn't for the pogroms throughout the 1800s and early 1900s that uh, killed many, many Jews, including relatives, by the way, and I'm talking about well before the rise of Nazism and World War Two. Uh, my relatives wouldn't have left Europe and uh, built lives for themselves in the United Kingdom and in South Africa. That wouldn't have happened. And so should I now be grateful and say, oh, how wonderful it is that there was anti-Semitism because that way I'm here. I probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for anti-Semitism. Well, that may be true, but life is complicated and anti-Semitism is horrible did it create circumstances in which I'm able to to live a far better life than I would have had my ancestors um, not to be to be precise, my grandfathers uh, not left uh, the, the 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 circumstances of pogroms and massacres in Europe? Yeah, right, absolutely. Um, is it uh, a reality that for huge numbers of people with black skins, life is better for them? in the United States than it would be if they were living in Africa. And one of the proofs of that is that the uh, emigration rate is is negligible. I don't think it exists at all, right? Not a lot of people of African ancestry are saying, eh, you know what, life in America is so horrible, 
I have to go back and, and go back to my to my heritage. I've got to, nobody's doing that because they're Americans, right? It, just like me. And they have no interest in living anywhere else at all. Does this mean slavery is wonderful? No. It just acknowledges a reality that were it not for the heinous sin of slavery, and, and you've got to put that in, right? Because otherwise people might misunderstand what I'm saying and set out to, uh, to, to um, uh, say horrible things about me. Because, oh, I'm not condemning slavery. I'm condemning slavery. Okay, done. Uh, but I'm also saying that uh, it is what brought horribly, but it did bring people to the United States of America where they are very happy to be, which is the reason that I want to uh, mention a quote of uh, Scott Fitzgerald, right, the author of The Great Gatsby. It's not in The Great Gatsby. In, as a matter of fact, I don't think it's in any of his books, but it's, uh, it's in his published papers. Uh, I've had trouble uh, exactly finding it, but I'm not a, a Scott Fitzgerald scholar or anything. Uh, but I, I am assured and I am convinced that it is a quote of his. It doesn't matter. Once again, uh, we're going to look at this quote on its own merits, right? If you know, I, I don't think everything Scott Fitzgerald wrote is, is uh, immortal prose and everything he wrote is true and correct. No, of course not. But um, I just want to attribute this to him because I think he might have been the, the first person to sort of express this in uh, prose and, and fine English. Here's what he said. The test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. Okay, got it. It's very important to be a successful functioning human being. And please hear me on this because uh, what I'm telling you is relevant in, in all areas of your life. This is not just in the area of contemporary politics and Confederate statues, but in every area of your life. I'll give you an example. Um, in my practical work as a rabbi, more than once I had a situation, but I'm thinking of one very specific, one of a person who came to me just torn up with with conflict and uh, emotions that were turbulent and roiling his tranquility. What happened? Um, he had just lost his father, and he was in mourning for his father. But he, was, he said, um, my father left me in his will a huge fortune. He said, all of a sudden, he said, I had no idea this was coming. He said, I've struggled for most of my life, and here I am now in a fantastic situation. If I don't want to ever work again, I don't have to. I can afford whatever I want, and my life is totally different. He said, I'm trying to stop myself from feeling happy because I want to feel sad about... And I brought out this point. I don't remember if I quoted the Scott Fitzgerald quote or not, but I did say... Um, life is complicated. Ever since Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, we cannot separate these things out. And uh, very often we have to deal with absolutely conflicting things at the same time. Conflicting ideas, conflicting feelings, conflicting emotions. You are in mourning. You, you lost your father. You're never going to see him again. He was a wonderful man. You had a special relationship with him. Grieve and mourn. Life has changed for you. You are now an orphan. Now, completely separately, be happy. Yes, that's right. Happy and sad at the same time. Look, um, you can't act those two things out at the same time, right? No matter how great an actor somebody is. And, and there are a number of, of actors, both uh, uh, British actors and American actors, who, who I, I personally think um, were, were and are really great actors who are able just with the hunch of a shoulder or the way of a walk can convey deep and profound emotions uh, and that takes some doing and yes it's it's doable but let me explain no matter how great an actor he can only show one emotion at a time let let let's make that clear right you can only actually act in one way in accordance with one idea or one emotion at a time but you can feel more than one thing at a time. Do you follow? So, th so that's an important point. Uh, why, am, why am I saying that? Because I want to explain that um, many of us can look back at difficulties and challenges in our lives, and we can say they were terrible, it was a, an awful time, 
and at the same time, I'm happy I went through them because they made me who I am today. Conflicting ideas, absolutely conflicting ideas, but we have to be able to deal with them. You see, that's an important thing. Um, and do I think anti-Semitism is horrible? Yes. Do I think slavery is horrible? Yes. Are those things evil? For heaven's sake, yes. Have there been outcomes that I personally find good about anti-Semitism? Well, just the fact that my ancestors left Europe. Uh, is there something uh, that one can say about slavery? Not that in any way makes slavery good. Of course not. It's that the mark of a functioning mind is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in mind at the same time. Slavery horrible, but it also did bring a lot of people to a far better life, ultimately, ultimately now in the United States of America. Okay, fine. So we've got uh, two absolutely conflicting ideas. Uh, unmitigated evil on the one hand, and yes, sort of outcomes on the other, they were okay. Uh, what, um, do, do I have other examples of that? Well, yes, and very important ones, because uh, they are form. you know, whether you have black skin or white skin, uh, whether you are uh, rich or poor, or whatever, it makes no difference. There are things that you and I can in, can can apply in our lives as as tools in order to improve the quality of our life things you can do today as soon as we finish today's show that will literally start changing your life for the better tomorrow that's what we're talking about here um, on a larger scale my website rabbi daniel and i want you to go over there and read up about a uh, product called the income abundance set the income abundance set uh, comprises both audio and and uh, and books, and these things I want you to read about at RabbiDanielLappin.com. I'll be back with you in just a moment. You're listening to Rabbi Daniel Lappin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Find more at theblaze.com/radio. How the world really works. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Onwards we go with the Rabbi Daniel Lappin show, uh, talking about the removal of Confederate statues. Well, yeah, but but that's a topic that opens us up into a vast and uh, and far more interesting and greatly uh, more useful areas than just the political turbulence roiling the uh, United States of America right now. Let me start off with uh, a, a very fascinating verse in the Bible. Now, I say this knowing full well that I have many listeners, and I cherish each and every one of you. I really do. Uh, you might say, what are you talking about? Uh, you just cherish us as a number in the listening audience. Well, yeah, but behind every number is a real flesh and blood human being, and I appreciate the fact that you invest time in what I say or what I do or what I create. That is of real value to me, and I take that very seriously. I take the responsibility of using your time well very seriously. And, yes, I do cherish your uh, participation and your involvement, uh, whether I actually know you in person or not. And, obviously, uh, thank God there are far too many of you for me to, in fact, know you all personally. It doesn't mean that I don't appreciate each and every one of you listening. Um, I, uh, I say all of that because I know that among you there are those who uh, would be self-described atheists. I know there are people who are Bible believers. There are people who are not. But uh, I think the characteristic of the show, if, if, <laughs> if listeners to the show constitute any kind of community at all, as I've spoken about earlier on, 
um, it would be a commitment to open-mindedness, a commitment to uh, uh, evaluating reality and understanding things in its own terms rather than deciding emotionally, I don't like the speaker, I don't like the writer, therefore I'm going to discredit anything he says or does, which is the normal way of doing politics now. Um, people uh, loathe and detest the president, and therefore there's nothing he can say or do that's good. I forget who it was who joked about the, the fact it was not in the context of the president. It was somebody else. And I think it might have been Margaret Thatcher who said it first, and I don't remember about whom she said it. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't prepare that. This, what I'm saying now it just came to me. It's not part of my, my preparation for the podcast. But she said some, about something that if he walked on water, people would simply say he doesn't know how to swim. And uh, anyway, the point being that once people react emotionally and, and weigh their decisions only on the basis for their feelings and their emotions, they are condemning themselves to stagnation. And I, and I, and I like to believe that if there's something that uh, unifies me with, with all the people who do listen to this show, it is an ability to, um, to deal with cognitive dissonance, to hear something that is different from what I already believe, to hear something that is in conflict with what I emotionally feel, and to weigh it up and to say, you know, here's why I think I may have to adjust my feelings to get into line with the truth, or here's how I can reject that observation, even though my feelings uh, are involved, because it is false on the following basis. Anyway, uh, I say all that because... Uh, I uh, I just want you to know that even if you are not uh, in any way enthusiastic about the Bible, I know that you will understand and accept the point I am making here. Uh, the The point is based on a verse in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 23. In the Hebrew Bible, it's verse 8. In, in some translations, it's made to be verse 7. And I, I don't have to spend any time on the reason for those uh, occasional one-verse uh, numbering disparities. doesn't matter. But um, the verse reads, and uh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to tell it to you in, in the Hebrew, just in case you might like to sort of hear the sound of the Hebrew on this. Uh, and here's what it says. Lo ta'ev edomi ki achichahu, lo ta'ev mitzri ki ger hayita be'artso. And uh, I'll tell you what that says in what that means in English is you must not. And now that tetaev word in Hebrew is a combination between loathing, hating and oppressing. So it's a feeling and an action. So um, loathe, hate, oppress is the best translation for that word. So I'm gonna, it's going to be a cumbersome translation, but it's an accurate one. You shall not loathe, hate or oppress an Edomite. Uh, for he is your brother, all right, who's Adam, well, Adam, right, descended from the brother of Jacob, etc., etc., so you mustn't hate, even though, even though he has done things to us in the past that are not very nice, the fact is, he, where he comes from, you know, you mustn't hate, loathe, or oppress. Then it goes on to the next part of the verse, which is of more interest to us. Um, you shall not loathe, hate, or oppress an Egyptian, because you were a stranger in his land. What? Stranger? Hello? We were slaves! 400 years in Egypt as slaves? And you say we were a stranger in his land? Well, we were strangers, that's true. We were never accepted, but we didn't want to be there as slaves. All right, do you see the parallel here? It's kind of interesting. This is what I think is, you know, people sometimes ask me about the success of Jews and why Jews have done as well as they, they have done and so on and so forth. And I've written books about it, um, two of which are actually in the income abundance set that I'm asking you to take a look at this week. Uh, one of them is called Thou Shall Prosper, the Ten Commandments for Making Money. The other is called Business Secrets from the Bible. It's financial strategies, spiritual strategies for financial success. And I speak very much about the fact that uh, Jews are disproportionately good with money. Why? Well, one of the reasons is this verse, Deuteronomy 23, 8. What? We are instructed to not loathe, hate, or oppress Egyptians. Why? Because we were their guests. We were a stranger in their land. 
What are you talking about? Surely we should hate and loathe and oppress them because they enslaved us? No, because if the natural instinct is to loathe, hate, and oppress people who enslave you, of course that's a natural instinct. The more you do that, the less you will ever be able to escape it and go beyond it and live for tomorrow instead of for yesterday. I, I don't know if you would have heard of a guy called William Konar. Um, I'm not absolutely, he may well still be alive. I hope he is. He used to live near Rochester, upstate New York. And um, he started something called, a little company called CVS Pharmacies, right? You probably have one in your neighborhood. Uh, and he owned most of it. And um, he did pretty well. Um, there was another guy called Nathan Chappelle. And I, I speak about these guys at length in my books. But uh, I just want you to know the, the basic point here. Nathan Chappelle was a huge home builder in, in Southern California. I knew him reasonably well. Uh, there was a guy called Jack Tramiel, who in the way back in the early days of the computer age, right, <laughs> 1970s, uh, founded Commodore Computers, which became a big company. Uh, there was another guy called Fred Court. You know those little rubber bouncy balls, really, really good bounces? You've played with them. Every kid in the world has played with them. Uh, he came up with those. Remember the bubble machine and the, uh, the solution that makes soapy bubbles that just last? Uh, Fred Court made those too, and he marketed them and a whole bunch of other toys in a company he created called the Los Angeles Toy Company. There was a guy called Felix Zanman who started Vichy into technology, big, huge electronic firm supplying the computer and aerospace industries. Look, I could go on. I could go on. These are not uh, billionaire playboys. These are not people you read about in, the, um, in, in People magazine. No, these are people who made huge fortunes, gave away huge sums of money. They were big philanthropists. They were all Jewish. And you know what else unites them? They all uh, were tormented and tortured in the Holocaust. That's right. Uh, all these men I've mentioned and a whole bunch of others came to the United States as young boys traumatized by watching their parents and siblings murdered by the Nazis. And they were, um, they were liberated from concentration camps where they were emaciated semi-corpses. I, I can't tell you how bad it was. It was really, really, really bad. And they came to the United States as young boys. And um, the one thing is that um, they, were, they were all placed with families. They were all uh, uh, put into uh, Jewish charitable facilities. And in all of these places, none of them encouraged these young boys to talk about their experiences. None of them were encouraged to do that. And to this day, their relatives, their children, many of whom I know, um, say, you know, our, our father never spoke about the Holocaust, never spoke about what he went through. That's right. You don't obsess about the past. You have to put it behind you. In a way, you have to ignore it. Was it a horrible thing? Was it a terrible thing? Yes. But you have to move on if you are not going to be chained and shackled by these terrible things in the past. And these men were able to go beyond. They were able to break free. But that's not all. This is so important. It's important because each and every one of us in our lives have things that we allow us. We allow them to shackle us to the past. There are things that are like huge chains around our ankles that stop us racing towards a bright sunlit future because we cling to the past. Shattering Confederate statues? No, all that does is add another few chains to our feet. Let me explain a little bit more as soon as we come back. But talking of escaping shackles, you or somebody in your family could probably use a financial transformation. And I'm not talking about uh, investing because you need a 
a nest egg to invest. And I'm not talking about getting out of debt because the best person in the, in the whole world for helping you do that is our friend Dave Ramsey. I'm talking about increasing your revenue. And for that, you need to read about the income abundance set. Take a look and see if that could change your life or perhaps somebody you care about. Go to the website, rabbidaniellappin.com. There's no better time than the present because we've got that at a reduced price for those of you who are regular listeners to the show. And uh, you will find all of that at rabbidaniellappin.com. Got it? R-A-B-B-I, Rabbi Daniel, and then another L for Lappin. <laughs> Some people don't do that. Dot com, rabbidaniellappin.com. Okay, back with you in just a moment. Ancient solutions to modern problems. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Rabbi Daniel Lappin returns with more of how the world really works on the Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for listening in. And I, I, I know this sounds formulaic, but it's heartfelt when I say thank you uh, to those of you who've done so much to help promote the show, tell other people about it, uh, give the, the URL to folks, tell them how to listen to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin show. I know a whole lot of you are doing that. Because, first of all, a number of people have written to say, I just want to tell you how much I'm enjoying the show, and I want to thank my friend so-and-so who, uh, who told me about it. And I'm also uh, basing it on growing numbers that, uh, that tell me exactly the same thing. So thanks very much indeed. Appreciate that. And I said I was going to move on with this idea of how easy it is to be shackled to the past, obsessing on the past. Bad, right? It was bad. Things happened in the past, whether to a group of people or to an individual. Yeah, bad things have happened, no question about it. And yes, there is a tendency to want to rehash it and go over it and again and again and again and again. Look, I'm saying don't do that. If I say don't do that, it doesn't mean it was any less horrible. Of course it was horrible. But the important thing is your life going forward. And your life going forward can be enhanced by putting it behind you, moving onwards. Uh, you know, it used to be the practice that when kids at a school saw something horrible happen, uh, there was a shoot-up of a preschool in, Hol in, in Scotland a number of years ago. Um, and, of course, needless to say, in the United States of America, there have been many such instances. The normal practice, and, and I have a lot to say on this, but not for today. The normal practice was to bring in the therapist, the psychologist, the counselors, and let the children talk about what they saw. And again and again, and the psychologist always said, tell me more. Tell me what you felt. What was going through your mind at the time? And uh, finally, led by um, a very interesting psychologist. I hope he's still alive. He's an elderly man, Walter Michel. Uh, he was one of the first who said, stop this. It's a calamity. And uh, I'm, I don't think he necessarily got it from ancient Jewish wisdom, but ancient Jewish wisdom would absolutely agree. Stop it. It's a calamity. Move on. Stop indulging this natural instinct we all have to rehash what went through. Just put it aside. There is a reason that Fred Court didn't talk about the Holocaust. There's a reason that Nathan Chappelle didn't talk about the Holocaust. These are really important principles. There is a reason why the Bible instructed the Jewish people. Yes, you endured 400 years of slavery. Yes, it was horrible. Yes, it was heinous. Yes, it was evil. Yes, it was terrible. Uh, the, 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 the tortures they were subjected to in Egypt were, were, were indescribable. And the fact that it happened 3,300 years ago doesn't make it any less horrible. And yet, I want you, said God, I want you never to be nasty to the Egyptians. Because if you can get this into your head, that not only are you not allowed to, to take uh, revenge on them, not only, but you can't even obsess about it. You can't even hate them in your heart. Nothing. That is genius. It was the only way for the Hebrews to move on past that experience. Needless to say, we're doing the opposite today. Eight years of President Obama, did it help? I don't think so. 
I don't think so. But everybody who makes it, makes it through rigorously turning their backs on the past, not talking about it, not thinking about it, not obsessing about it, and moving forward. That doesn't mean that what happened wasn't horrible. It doesn't mean that what happened wasn't profoundly evil. Of course, but the important thing is your life today, right? <laughs> this is not about writing history books. It's about improving your life. And uh, in every instance, the people who succeed are the people who are able to do this. Do you remember the, the movie Stand and Deliver? If you haven't seen it, you probably should. Uh, it's about a uh, he's he, he he just passed away a few years ago recently, but uh, an immigrant from South America called Jamie Escalante. And pardon me if I'm mispronouncing your name, but um, uh, you probably don't say Jamie. Uh, you probably are supposed to Jamie. I don't know. I'm sorry. He's from South America. It doesn't matter. His name was Escalante, and he taught calculus at Garfield High School. Now, I lived in Los Angeles for many years. Believe me, I know what Garfield High School was like. Um, and in, in the years, the 70s, the 80s, maybe even into the 90s, um, Jamie Escalante taught calculus to a group of students that everybody believed were unteachable, absolutely unteachable. He wouldn't accept any excuses. Yes, they were poor. Yes, they came from non-English speaking backgrounds. Yes, they were involved in gangs. Yes, there were all kinds of background problems. He didn't accept excuses. He didn't let them tell why they couldn't do the homework. And um, he became uh, a hero. Uh, the students loved him and he got them through these tough mathematics courses because he didn't allow them to obsess on all the horrible things that endured in the past. Um, there's a book called Karen. It's about a girl, Karen, who had cerebral, cerebral palsy. Her mom, her mom wrote the book. Her mom's name was Marie Killalia. Uh, K-I-L-L-I-L-E-A, if you're interested in the book. And, and again, you, know, you should read it. And, and if you want a book to recommend to youngsters in your family to read, this, this is it. Uh, in those days, um, doctors said, you know, you have to put her away in an institution. She's got cerebral palsy. She can't live a normal life. Karen's mom, Mary, absol Marie, absolutely refused to accept it. Out of the question, not happening. And the story is one of redemption and deliverance. Or how about Jen Bricker? Does that ring a bell with you? Um, it shouldn't. If it doesn't, you can just uh, look for her on YouTube, J-E-N, Jen Bricker. Um, an amazing story. This is a girl who was uh, adopted into a family. Her birth family didn't want her. You know why? Because she was born without legs. I'd call that a pretty serious handicap. Is that profoundly evil that such birth defects exist in the world? Profoundly evil. Is it horrible and uh, and and tormenting? Absolutely. And uh, little Jen Bricker wanted to be a gymnast, and her adoptive parents absolutely refused to allow the fact that she didn't have legs to deter them. And she became a gymnast, and you can see her do the most extraordinary things on YouTube. You know, the um, just as an aside, at the end of the story is rather remarkable. I'm, I think later on she discovers that her birth parents were all, she came from an Olympic athlete family. Can you imagine that? You know, you can, you can sort of see, you know, what is a family for whom everything is athletic accomplishment do when they give birth to a baby without legs? Anyways, uh, they gave up on her. Her adoptive family would not allow the handicap to stand in the way. Or how about Temple Graydon? I, I hope she's still alive as well. I think she is. If she is, she is a professor of um, cattle management, I think at a university out west in Arizona, somewhere there. Uh, she was born with um, what would have been called severe, severe extreme autism. And again, you know, her family was advised to put her in an institution. Uh, her mother was having none of that and absolutely refused to accept the, the reality of her handicap, terrible handicap, and just demanded from her that she behaves normally, that she acts normally, that she moves forward, and simply wouldn't allow the excuse of her background to hold her back. 
Temple Graydon became it was unbelievable. And by the way, she still suffers from the problems today, but she she's gone forward. She functions as a professor, an inspiration to everybody. That that's the reality. And so uh, we we've got to we 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 see again and again and again in every instance for people to succeed and for people to improve their lives you move forward you do not obsess about the past at all and we're busy smashing confederate statues we're busy applauding the mayor of baltimore who in the dark of night comes to remove statues for for what purpose in order to placate activists of the black community in what way is this going to be good how and there's another problem you know jefferson and and washington founders of the country also had slaves it's a very bad mistake to judge the past by the standards of the present and this is one of the reasons that uh, our legal system and any moral legal system says that you can never indict somebody for an action that was legal when he did it in other words we can declare something illegal today you cannot now go back and catch somebody who did this thing years before we declared it illegal and a law was passed and prosecute him you I mean, it's pretty obvious right you don't need you don't need to be told this it's so clear that the entire legal system collapses if you do that nonetheless that's exactly what we're doing we're condemning people as villains because of things that they did that we've subsequently declared illegal Right? Immoral, we always knew they were, but they weren't illegal. And um, we are now uh, doing that. And so, you know, away go the Confederate statues. Uh, and, and here's the horrible thing, right? Um, he, Robert E. Lee, he did fight for the Confederacy. He did. At the time he did it, it was not illegal. Right? Slavery was evil. It was immoral but was protected by law up through uh, to 1860 or so. Uh, when Robert E. Lee defended his native Virginia, he was not violating any law. And furthermore, let's also just remember a point that uh, my friend Ben Stein made so uh, succinctly. He's absolutely right. At no time did the Supreme Court ever rule that secession was unconstitutional. Right, what Robert E. Lee was doing then was not unconstitutional. On the contrary, when the Supreme Court of the United States back then, right, we're talking about the middle of the 19th century, when our United States Supreme Court started moving towards actually declaring secession lawful, do you know what President Lincoln did? He violated every legal principle. He threatened to have the chief justice, you probably know this, as a listener of the show, you probably know this, but I'm sure that all the people who are screaming for the removal of Robert E. Lee, I'm sure they don't know, that their hero, President Abraham Lincoln, actually threatened to have the chief justice of the United States Supreme Court, his name was Roger Taney at the time, to have him arrested and jailed, right? The whole idea was separation of powers. The, he wasn't allowed to do that. It's so extraordinary. The United States Supreme Court is supposed to be exempt from the powers of the presidency. Lincoln actually tried to have um, uh, Chief Justice Roger Taney arrested and jailed. Don't forget, by that time, Lincoln had already used federal troops, federal troops, to arrest part of the state of Maryland's legislature to keep Maryland from seceding. I mean, people don't know this. This was the hero, Abraham Lincoln, violates the Constitution. And, um, and then the court 
issued an order that the legislators must be released by the federal troops who were there under Lincoln's orders uh, through the laws of habeas corpus, which go back hundreds and hundreds of years. Do you know what President Lincoln did when the court ruled that the legislatures must be freed? He ignored them. That's all. Look, people don't know this. I'm not, I'm not saying every aspect of Robert E. Lee was heroic and wonderful and marvelous. I'm saying that life is complicated. And the mark of a successful intellect, the mark of a human mind that is in control, is the ability to hold in that mind two conflicting ideas and to still be able to continue to function, right? Robert E. Lee fought for uh, the South, uh, the South part, right? And let's say most of the people today don't even know any of the issues of state rights. How many people even know that the overwhelming majority of Southerners didn't own slaves and that many laid down their lives not to protect slavery, but to protest and defend them against an invasion by northern forces who, by the way, by the laws of that day, had absolutely no regal right to invade North Carolina or Virginia under, with an army. No right. This was a very complicated situation. And to suppose that the lives of black Americans are going to be magically improved by the removal of these statues, it's wrong. It's all wrong. Yes, racism was evil. Racism continues to be evil, of course. But the problem is that that is not the reason why so many young black males are unemployable. And uh, I'm, I'm quoting a uh, black entrepreneur who himself made this exact point. But again, you know, I'm, do I need to sort of cover my tracks by saying, yes, it was a black entrepreneur who said this? Uh, look, do you really think the problem is that there are not enough jobs? Do you think that's the problem out there? There are certain people who are unemployable, largely because the qualities that make you an employable person, you usually learn in a family. It takes a father and a mother. And so the destruction of the American family, is that due to, excuse me, the destruction of the family so rife and so sadly prevalent among black-skinned Americans, is that the result of slavery? Well, according to both Walter Williams and uh, Thomas Sowell, no. Because if you actually look at the statistics, the statistics for the black family have deteriorated, deteriorated substantially since the early 60s when civil rights legislation was passed. Everything improved since then, excepting the values. That deter Why? The, the, the evil there, the demon, the villain there was not racism, was not slavery. It was the government. Long discussion, something many of you are already familiar with. But the point is that what is needed to improve the underclass in America is exactly what is needed to improve the underclass in England. The overwhelming majority of the underclass in England are white. The overwhelming majority of the underclass in, in America is black. And it's not a skin color issue. It is a values issue. One has to recover marriage. One has to recover self-discipline. One has to recover self-restraint. One has to um, uh, recover uh, a, a, some form of sexual uh, self-discipline. Um, the, the, again, not, not to spend a lot of time on that, but these are the things one has to bring charter schools for all the numbers of parents in the underclass who want their children to do better, right? There are people there struggling, and we're removing statues. Yeah. Gives you an idea of just how very serious things are in the United States of America today. And um, can they improve? Yes, they can. 
but I think they can only improve with a framework of moral guidance, with a blueprint. It's not enough to simply say no. One also has to be able to point the right way. To say that is the wrong way is part of the story, and it may be the first part of the story, but one also has to be able to point at the correct way, the right way. We've run out of time, and uh, I've gone a bit over time, for which I apologize, and uh, that means that I, your rabbi, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, needs to finally say thank you for listening. Make sure you visit the website at rabbidaniellappin.com. Take a look at a special price on a very useful, life-changing product called the Income Abundance Set. It's exactly what its name says. You'll find it at rabbidaniellappin.com. Be in touch. Let me know how things are in your life, if if there are any questions you want me to particularly look at in future shows. But for now, all that is left is for me to say have a very good week, a week of good health and prosperity. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless. You're listening to Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Find more at theblaze.com slash radio.